I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. I am your host, as the man said, Mr. Chachi LaPrette. Thank you all for joining us and coming here to the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, also on iTunes and Spotify, all kinds of platforms, and we certainly enjoy coming to you to talk about my favorite band, the Fab Four. And uh, as you might, you may or may not know, you may or may not know that uh, I host Breakfast with the Beatles in New England on WUMB, 91.9 FM in Boston, and New Hampshire and Maine on 92.1 and 97.1 FM. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm here with my co-host, Professor, the Beatle Professor, David Gallant at Suffolk University. David, how are you? Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Chachi, I'm doing great, doing great, and uh, this is going to be a very, very exciting show. I'm pretty psyched because we also have a third guest on our panel in studio here at the beautiful Boston Podcast Network, luxurious studios, I will add, <laughs> Professor Stephen Minichello, who teaches the Beatles course at Worcester there you go. Worcester State University. There you go. Steve, your first time on my podcast. We welcome you. Yes. Well, with two professors, you get egg roll on this one That's today. correct. Yeah, so. and, and, and not a word in edgewise. No. <laughs> well, we certainly don't want to intimidate our guest on the phone because uh, you, both of you professors I've known for many, many years. I consider you both dear friends, and I thank you, Steve, for being here. And, of course... Professor David for coming here every month, every week, whenever we get this done. And we are brought to you in part by Subaru of New England and Direct Tire and Auto Service in Massachusetts. So thanks to them. Now, on our phone right now, we have... Uh, let, me, let me just stop by saying this. We all know uh, most uh, people, with, kids with diaries, it's very personal, very private. It's a private possession of a teenager. And uh, I would probably suggest a female teenager more than than boys. I certainly didn't. Maybe for, for boys, Professor, when I was a kid, I didn't, it would be called a journal, I guess. Do boys write diaries? Well, uh, yes. In they fact, do. yeah, a, a little known fact, Chachi, one of my, uh, my scholarly areas in graduate school was a, a post-war American autobiography. And so oh. I did look at diaries. Uh, Jim Carroll wrote the basketball oh, diaries, right. very I famously, called the it, diaries. Yeah, sure. yeah. And uh, so this is why I find our guest's uh, 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 journaling, if you will, her diary, uh, very, very fascinating. Yes, and it's it's private for a lot of kids, and we'll find out if, uh, you know, I certainly saw the Brady Bunch episode where Masha gets her diary stolen and sold to uh, given to a bookstore, and they had to go search for Chachi, it. Chachi, let's not go dark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but on, I bring this up because in, in a new book called Diary of a Beatlemaniac, a fab insider's look at the Beatles era. All of the submissions, 13 years worth, are revealed, and the vast majority of those writings are about the writer's love of the Beatles, along with a Ford by Larry Kane, which I thought was very impressive, our friend Larry. So on the phone is the author of The Diary of a Beatle Maniac, a fab insider's look at the Beatles era, Miss Patricia Gallo Stenman. Patricia, how are you? I am fine today, and uh, how are you guys? We are doing great, gentlemen. Doing fab. well, yeah. Fab. Chachi, fab. <laughs> fab. 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 <laughs> well, you know, I really enjoyed your book. Can I, we can call you Patty, right, Patty? That's right. Okay. Patty's my, my younger name. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I really enjoy books like this, and there's not many of them, because there's so much has been written about the Beatles, but I love to hear the other side of the story, meaning... The Fans. There's also another book called Beatleness by Candy Leonard, who's right. a friend of ours. And that takes yes. a, a look at, at the kids. of Because I'm a first-generation Beatle fan. You certainly are. And I really, yes. I really enjoyed your book. And I will start by saying, you know, professors, I know you guys read the book as well. The first uh, uh, entry, entry into the journal was August 14th, 1963, when a young girl named Patty... Had, did you have a crush, a crush on Prince Charles? Yes, I did. He kind of prefigured Paul McCartney for me, actually. And, wow. we, you know, in those days, of course, we had no social media, but we used to see pictures in the newspaper of the young Prince Charles. And I did have a crush on him. I admit I did. Now, you probably still have a crush on Paul, but do you still have a crush on the prince? No, not the prince, <laughs> but yes, Paul. <laughs> so what was it that made you want to reveal the entries into your very private diary to the masses of Beatle fans? 
Well, I, I, like you guys, of course, have, have read so many of the books on the Beatles through the years. And many years ago, um, I had the idea that I wanted to tell the other side of the story. Um, I was a young girl who loved to write. I, I later became a journalist, a professional journalist. And I, I thought to myself, I have everything written down firsthand as one fan. And it was quite, you know, as you saw in the book, it's, it's quite comprehensive what we did. Um, most people who write, who know about Beatle Maniacs, the only thing they see are photos and, and newspapers and, and clips of them screaming. You don't really know what we did behind that, the scene. So I, uh, that's the thing I wanted to do. I, I really thought it should be all written down and uh, revealed what, what we had to say. And, of course, with that came the, the more private information of how, you know, what, what, a, what stupid things I said at 13 years old. But that was okay because that's just part of the, you know, the, uh, the fab information, so we, we should say. Patty, I think that that's, that's a really interesting uh, uh, point that you get early on in the, in the diary. Um, and I like how you put yourself in a kind of a historical line with Anne Frank is one of the reasons why you liked uh, uh, Diaries. Yes. She had an affection for uh, Prince Baudouin of uh, Belgium, if you remember. Oh, I, I don't know if you named. I don't know if you named your diary as she did. Uh, she uh, she called yeah. it Dear Dear Kitty. But um, the fact that what you talk about is is something that I try to impress upon my students that the fuel of of Beatlemania was actually a lot of of work, uh, a, a lot of work by a lot of these young women and other fans, work that then uh -huh. gave them grounding, gave them skills to use throughout the rest of their lives, right? And so oh, uh, that definitely. passion for the Beatles became their equipment to do many other things. Uh, so, um, you know, the, it's important that they know that there's another life, an underlife, an overlife, an afterlife beyond the screaming. And uh, I well, think that uh, yeah. that chapter really gets to that. Yeah, and actually, I do reveal at the end of the book that, uh, and I feel this way very strongly, that I learned more being a Beatle maniac than I did in college and graduate school. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I learned to be more assertive. I learned uh, managerial skills because I was a fan club co-president. Uh, I really learned a lot. I learned how to write. I, I got a column in a weekly paper about uh, music and, and, and the Beatles. All that came from Beatlemania. Really nothing came from the university. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Patty, this is uh, Steve Minichello, uh, also a, a professor out here. And the thing that, yeah. one of the things that really uh, uh, struck me at the beginning is I thought some of it was like written when you got older. I mean, knowing that it's a journal and it wasn't, but uh, your yeah. writing style and your, uh, your wordsmithing I found uh, was uh, wasn't anything that any of the fourteen and fifteen year olds that I was hanging around with was uh, were able to pull off at that uh, in those uh, early days. Well, you know, most of it. I mean, not most of it. I'd say maybe sixty percent of it was actually taken from my little journal, which I called my little black book, <laughs> which is weird. But um, a lot of it I had to polish. Um, and, and add some things to it. For for example, uh, the information, uh, the in-depth information about uh, the concerts that I attended, the Beatle concerts I attended at Shea and in Philadelphia. Uh, some of that was taken from memory. Some of it was in my little black book, and some of it was in the newspaper column that I wrote every week for uh, a local paper. So it was a, it was a little bit of a, of a uh, it was compiled from from three different sources, um, but a lot of it, especially the beginning parts, were all from the uh, the the diary, which is fun. But but and, even uh, e even that area, yeah. even that that part that you just spoke about, though, you were sort of going back and making composite voices of your own voice contemporary to that time, though. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, yes. Yes. I and actually. The way the book is written, I do have a chapter called something like After the Beatles, and that's when I talk about what I've learned right. you know, through the years and, and how, for example, the Beatles played such an important role when I became a mother. And, and mm. I, I gave that, that love of Beatles to my, my girls, you know, that right. kind of thing. So 
And, and I think that's an important that's an important point too for us, uh, you know, first generation beetle maniacs. We've passed this down to not only our children but you know our grandchildren now, which is interesting. Who, who all so, who all get it and use it in very different ways, but it's still an important yeah. it's still an important legacy, right? The the, oh, yeah. uh, I think the line yeah. from Rolling Stone years ago was that every generation gets the Beatles that it needs. Uh. Yes, true. That's, <laughs> That's absolutely line. true. But yeah, it, it is true, and and it's. I think it's always lovely to go to places like the Fest for Beatles fans and see three generations there. You know, sometimes from the same family that that are you know looking at the different exhibits and listening to the music, and I, I feel good about that. And. Uh, Passing down at the uh, uh, concerts, too. For example, I'll see Paul, Sir Paul again in a couple of weeks, and, of course, I'll take my grown daughters with me, you know. Now, what, so, do you, what, uh, what do your daughters think about not only the book, but how you acted as a teenager? I don't know if teenagers act this way anymore. They don't. They don't act this way, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> they, they kind of enjoyed it. They, they laughed. Uh, they weren't really embarrassed because they're a little over the age to be embarrassed of their mother, which is good, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, they, they often say that, Mom, we wish we lived in the 60s. We grew up then because you guys had so much fun. Well, and we did. <laughs> we did with only three TV stations and an AM radio, but you're right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean... The crazy things we did, and you know, waiting outside for different outside hotels for different groups, meeting actors like Victor Spinetti, and starting a fan club. I mean, teenagers don't do that anymore. They don't have that kind of fun. And uh, I, I learned so much from all these experiences, and I met so many wonderful people, and saw so many incredible concerts from, you know, all different groups back in the '60s. So I feel feel rather blessed and and you know my my kids wish they could have gotten in on the fun too well patty your your narrative about your upbringing uh both you know culturally socially in terms of social class and everything and 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 religion um i, I it's very interesting when you say that you just don't think teenagers today could have that much fun do you think yeah. part of it is that they're not allowed to have that much fun, or, or they're having it in ways that are that are unseen? I mean, uh, uh, Professor Minichello might might agree or not. When we're going through the Beatlemania era, lots of my students who are freshmen in college, mostly 18, 19 years old, reflect upon their mania for One Direction. I had one student in class this year. She is going to study abroad in Korea purely because she is a K-pop maniac. And oh, she loves wow. and she loves BTS, and she kept on making analogies to what was going on with the Beatles, and some of them were actually fairly on point. And uh, hmm. so I think that in some ways they're having that fun, they're having that devotion, um, and it's just somehow a little bit different. Now, was your devotion for the Beatles? And this is you know it could get on some dicey ground here, but I'm a I'm a lapsed Catholic myself. Was that devotion <laughs> somehow inspired by some of your own religious upbringing that you applied some of the same rules of prayer? and devotion and and exaltation to uh, the Beatles? It just became a natural step sideways? Well, true. That is true. And also the fact that um, back in the, you know, the mid-60s, uh, going to an all-girl Catholic school, wearing uniforms, having all the nuns teach us, and they were very strict. And you managed we, to have we, fun. I'm having yeah, flashbacks we, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we needed to have some outlets. You know, besides the the strictness that we had from eight to three thirty every day, so the craziness that we developed and and the Beatles, uh, love for the Beatles actually, you know, came out of the fact that we were I think we were being you know reined in so hard during the day. We needed we needed an outlet, and of course, it's not like the kids today. You know, we 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 were kept kind of strictly strict by our parents too, and. Uh, well, another point is when you talked earlier about uh, kids, the differences between kids then and now, um, I, I also believe that in a way we did have more freedom. We weren't, our parents weren't worried about us doing things on our own. For example, you know, I guess I was 15 the first time I took the train, the Amtrak train from Philly to New York to see Victor Spinetti with my girlfriend. Now, you know, you're 15 years old. You're taking the train all the way up to New York and, and then coming home in the evening. 
today I wouldn't let my girls do that when they were 14, but, but you know, it was, it was safe back then. And, and we did those kind of things. So we, yeah. And to some, and to some degree you could hitchhike back then. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, everybody did, didn't we? But, but it was, it was a different, it was a different world in different ways. Yes. We, we were kept pretty strictly in one sense, but in another sense, we, we had more freedom to, 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 to create and to do things. And the fan clubs, my fan club, I had a fan club for Victor Spinetti, uh, who was a dear, dear gentleman and loved his fans uh, incredibly a lot in those days. So um, we, we, we went off in different, in different circles in different ways. And, and developed our creativity in different ways, which is fun. Well, yeah. you know, since we talked about your school, I'll look at the uh, the entry that you put in on February 11th, 1964. You went to the parochial school and where the nuns called the Beatles, no talents that needed a bath. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you see, they, they really were not fond of anything Beatle at my Catholic girls' high school and I mean, I, I had actually, I think I write it about it in the book. I, I made my own Beatle calendar. Of course, they weren't sold back in 64. I made my own calendar. I put it in my, inside of my locker on the door and the nun came down the, the aisle as they patrol the, you know, the aisles of the, the locker room in the morning and she ripped it off the, you know, she ripped it off the, the door. Uh, I almost had my Beatle bubblegum card. It's thrown out in the trash can by a nun who caught me passing them down down the aisle one afternoon <laughs> in English class. So uh, they were very strict about, you know, they didn't want anything like that at school. And uh, and also another fact, which I think you guys will find very interesting, is my high school, which was a West Philadelphia Catholic Girls High School at 45th in Chestnut, was back-to-back with the WFIL Studios bandstand studio. Wow. So we were next door oh, to boy. bandstand Isn't in the sixties. Yeah, and the girls used to get, you know, go from Catholic or Catholic school, put a sweater on top of their uniforms so their insignia wouldn't show and they would go dance on bandstand because if the nuns would have caught them dancing on you know, that would have been a detention. <laughs> Isn't that funny? The I also yeah. you know what was interesting is that um, you had a different name for Paul. Oh yes, oh yeah. You called well, him. First, you called him Jamie. Yes, I did. Yes, you see, I knew his first name was James, uh, as he named his son, uh, James Paul McCartney, and I just thought Jamie sounded really sweet. And of course, you know, at, at fourteen and a half, I thought that was the ideal name for him. <laughs> so. um, but that's very, very funny. And also, February seventh, nineteen sixty-four. You. You and I bought my a Beatle album at a supermarket when I was younger. A dollar, oh, a dollar ninety nine at the A and P for Meet the there Beatles. There you go, yeah. Meet the Beatles. That's right. And I bought it for my my girlfriend's birthday, which her birthday was on February seventh, and uh, that was the first album actually I bought, and actually the first you know bit of net, what we call today memorabilia. Back then we called it Beatles stuff, and my our parents called it Beatle junk. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Patty, what's yeah. interesting then about acquiring your Beatle material in maybe I might have the time a little bit off, but maybe it's a it's a it signifies the rapid rate of change and even your your own fervor for the Beatles. You go from buying the album for a dollar ninety nine or whatever it was yeah. at at the local uh, or at the A M P I think right at the A M P not even two, not even two years later you're ordering Rubber Soul from England yes so yes. I didn't I she yeah. she bought original vinyl from England and I thought yes. my goodness for that time. That's extraordinary what you would have had paid for it, how, how your family would have been shaking their heads thinking we need to put this girl in an institution. Uh, to, yeah. I mean, that, that is quite a leap in a fairly short amount of time where you go from Meet the Beatles on at A.M.P. to ordering Rubber Soul from England. How did that yeah, happen? Yeah, well, that, that happened because, of course, all did of Did Spinetti help girls, you out on that one? <laughs> no, no, no. What happened is I had a pen pal, a, a girl from London, all of us girls got pen pals from England. Okay. So um, she actually, I believe what she did is she had ripped out some pages from some magazine or something about how to order these, you know, albums or something. And I, it wasn't that expensive if I remember. And I ordered 
a few albums here and there, uh, and so and I still have them from from England. Um, she also did nice things. She sent me a beautiful scarf uh, with a silk scarf with the Beatles pictures on them. Uh, it's, it's like a, a drawing and a charm bracelet. So she was my, like my link a little bit for some of the memorabilia. So and, years, uh, years before anyone yeah. else knew, you were hip to the fact of differences between uh, capital output and and parlophone output, and could sort of <laughs> tell your friends what for. Right? I, I didn't hear. I didn't know about that for years. Late. <laughs> I didn't yeah. either. It wasn't until the seventies, well, almost. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it was exciting, you know, when I would get. I remember when I would get the albums at, at home, and and they were from another country, and of course, I had never traveled probably further than the you know the the Jersey Shore, you know. So <laughs> it was really exciting to. To get something from so far away and to have a pen pal from there who would send me other things as well. Every uh, every, I, every Philly girl's sense of a, of a hot summer time, right? The Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. The Jersey Shore, <laughs> please, you know. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And as I said, in these ways, we really, uh, we really had a, a, a rich kind of uh, growing up experience. Because, I mean, we had an international experience. You know, we, we learned a lot of things that a lot of kids wouldn't learn that weren't Beatle maniacs. So uh, it, was, it was an interesting life. I, I loved, you know, I loved your, little, your little dictionary, your little lexicon to, uh, oh, to Beatle speak. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, uh, yeah. that these, these equal these other words, right? And uh, oh, yeah. that kind of yeah. uh, 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 trans, uh, transatlantic translation for your uh, friends <laughs> and everybody, right? To know the lingo. Oh, yeah. I thought that that was, that was fantastic. And we tried to use them too sure. at school, you know, with one another, and and it is kind of really kind of fun. So it 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 you know it went a lot a lot beyond the just regular fandom. Like like I, I mentioned in the book, there's a lot of difference just between in those days between just being a Beatle fan and being a Beatle maniac. We just we did it all um, crazily. I, I think I mentioned in the the book where. We uh, we really got upset, especially me, when when Paul was supposedly engaged to Jane Asher. So we, we decided to sacrifice a clay figure of Jane Asher during our lunch hour at at school at a Catholic school and stick pins in this clay figure. So we did all kinds of weird things at age fifteen and fourteen that um, other kids didn't. And as I said, it you know I learned a lot from a lot a lot of the experience. Are you not, are you not, are you not from the Pod Six One Seven Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Are You Not Entertained? The was I and um, the am I entertained? Can I start that again? Sorry. <laughs> am I entertained? I did it again. <laughs> Dumbass. Are you entertained? Ah! All right. Sorry. Sorry. It's Ed Nathanson. I'm here to give you the podcast that I've always wanted to do. That's talking about movies. That's talking about music, sports, pop culture. That's talking to some of the best people in employer branding around the world. Are you not entertained? Can I start that again? Patty, doesn't it really speak to a, a real innocent time, a much more innocent time, where oh, yeah. it would be so exciting to get something in the mail, especially something in the mail from from another country. And uh, I'm sure when you got those uh, Beatle albums, the texture of the album, of course, was was different, too. It didn't have the hard yes. cardboard that Capitol had or, or VJ no. had. So, I mean, all these things made everything so special, and especially when you'd see, like, maybe a 45 and it had oh, the, uh, yeah. you know, that it, you didn't have to put the spindle was in there already and or, or an EP. And what the heck songs, it was an EP, right. you know? And it was it was a very innocent time because the information just wasn't there. And it was very exciting no. to get that information. Yeah, it, it was exciting. And having the fan club for Victor Spinetti, he was a very generous gentleman. And when he was filming the, the movie uh, Help, we already had the fan club for him. And he decided to do something nice for his fan club in Philadelphia. He had a couple other fan clubs in the States. Um, he actually uh, was, was on the plane from um, going to the Bahamas with the whole uh, cast. And he had the, the Beatles, all four of them, sign on the back of the plane menu. It was a BOAC plane called the Beatles Bahamas Special. He had all four of them sign their autographs. And he sent that the autographs to us as a fan club and that would yeah go ahead go ahead (laughs) that is so special 
And of course, he he wrote on the inside page uh, now of uh, filming Beatles Two T W O because that was the name of the the movie before it had the name Help. And uh, and he said, look on the back page for the autographs of the four lads. And two were in pencil and two were in pen. Uh, so it, it, it was very exciting receiving that sort of... That? Uh, yeah. that, that, who has that? Who has that uh-huh. now? Because you, you were with your friends. So who takes possession? Now listen to this, everybody. Because I'm a big fan of Victor Spinetti. I loved him in all of the Beatle films. You know, yeah. she knitted him. You know, I thought he was really great. And um, control yourself, you'll spur it. But did he sent he sent you the sweater that he wore in the film? Yes. He yes. he sent you a cigarette smoked by John Lennon, a drink yes. a drink stirrer used by Paul, a can, yes. a candle from George's birthday cake. I mean, a blue you, candle. You yes, must have did. you must have been beside yourself. You must have been the envy of all the Beatle fans that you knew in your neighborhood. So oh, yeah. when when. It didn't just come to you. It came to your group. Who got to keep those yeah. items? Where are they today? Okay. Well, this is what happened. They, they came to my address. Uh, he would send things to my address. The sweater uh, was, I was co-president along with my friend, Diane. Uh, she has the sweater or she had the sweater. I'm not sure. I haven't been in touch with her about it. Uh, I have the autograph. In, in my bank, in my safe deposit box. Wow. So, and, and not only that, there's one other thing that he sent, but he only sent this privately. My mother, who knew Victor too, from all the phone calls and things, my mother wrote to him before my 16th birthday and said, Patty is going to have her 16th birthday. Can you sneakily send something special to her alone? And Victor was filming, he was filming help. Uh, he actually had Paul write on the back of a yes. postcard from Austria uh, to Patty, happy birthday, love, Paul McCartney. Oh, and then it gets better, guys. Oh, it gets no. better. Hold envious, on, hold on. you got some envious guys right here now, I'll tell <laughs> okay, you. Okay, go ahead. Hit us with this okay. one. Okay. <laughs> All right. He went back to Twickenham Studios where they were doing the inside shot for the, for the movie, and the Beatles were having a haircut. So... He actually got a lock of Paul's hair for me. Oh, my Lord. Where are these items that you own? Are they all in your bank? Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're, in, they're in safe deposit. And the, the lock of hair is very special because I always laugh and say, well, someday I'm going to clone him. <laughs> well, yeah, I send it to, you know, what is that? It's me 23 or whatever. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I got his hair and I, I slept with that lock of hair encased in plastic under my pillow for two years. My word. And uh, Oh, yes. Now, let's talk about your parents. When all this was happening, were you, pr- <laughs> were you private about your diary? Did they know what you were doing? Did they think, you know, you were nuts or... Did they did they encourage you uh, in your fandom for the Beatles? My mother and father really didn't. I mean, I, I have a girlfriend whose parents really encouraged her. I mean, they drove her every to every place and things. My parents thought it was a good idea uh, because, for example, I was you know I was hitting that fourteen fifteen year old mark, and in where I lived in South Philly, Southwest Philly, you know, home of Rocky, I can remember. Um, <laughs> the girls would start hanging on corners and, and drinking with the boys at that time. So here I was with my girlfriends chasing beetles that were nowhere to be found. And my mother thought I was very safe, <laughs> see, because <laughs> they weren't real, actually. So she, was, she had a very positive image, and my dad said, fine, you know, if I wanted to spend my my uh, my weekly ava- uh, allowance on albums and junk like that, that's fine. You know, it's what I wanted. So they were pretty positive. They let me go, you know, to New York several times to see Victor when he was appearing in Broadway up there. Uh, I was able to go to Shea Stadium to see the Beatles in 66. They were really positive. They, they didn't hold me back. Um, so I was having Beatle birthday parties 
uh, in my mother's dining room now, yes, for let some me, years. Let yeah. me interrupt you there because you have a very funny story. You're with your girlfriends and your grandmother's there. They had to invite some of the family. And, you know, I had Italian parents too. My, my <laughs> oh, Italian oh, parents yeah. only wanted to hear, you know, uh, Al Martino, or Tony Bennett, yeah. uh, those kinds Frank of Sinatra. things. Frank Sinatra. Frank <laughs> Sinatra. Um, but you actually tried to call Liverpool. Great story. Can you tell that? Oh, yeah. Well, it was uh, a, a birthday party that we had on uh, for Paul McCartney, I guess, when we were 15. And we had it in my, my parents' dining room. My girlfriends, I just invited my girlfriends to that one. And I remember, and I wonder, this is a funny thing, too. I, had, I still had the original posters that I had when I was 14 and 15. And I remember Scott taping them up on my mother's wallpaper in the dining room. Now, if my kids would have tried that, I would have killed them. But my mom <laughs> didn't say anything. So anyway, we're, we're having this little party. I have a little cake with, uh, it says, Happy Birthday, Paul, on it. And I stuck the Remco, Remco Paul McCartney plastic figure on top of the cake with a little birthday hat. And I was we were really excited. So I said, well, why don't we try calling Liverpool? Because the, the, uh, the magazines at that time, the teenage magazines, would often run addresses of all four Beatles in Liverpool. Or when they moved to London, they would have their addresses in the, in the magazines. So I said, okay, we'll try. So in those days, you know, you had a landline and you had to go through the operator. And I, I actually talked to the Liverpool operator and I tried to get Paul McCartney's house in, in, in Liverpool at the time. And I remember her saying to me, um, he's not right here, here right now. Why don't you try calling his fan club, love? And we all got so excited. It was worth it just to hear that operator. You, you, know, you were probably the very accent, yeah. You were probably the accent. first one that ever called uh, Liverpool to talk to Paul McCartney too. Huh? Paul, yes, <laughs> but you know, one. later on, I thought my mother would have actually killed me. It was a long distance call. They were very expensive in those days, and I thought if I would have gotten through to him because she didn't know, I thought God. She would have killed me because I wasn't charged for the because the phone call didn't go through. But yeah, I tried calling Paul on his birthday, and uh, it didn't work. So. Uh, so speaking of your parents wanting to kill you, uh, yeah, not not that they they did in this, but I see in the it's it's almost right dead in in the center as you're leading into say sixty seven, but before that in sixty six, and as I'm thinking of the time when you're going to see the the Beatles at Shea Stadium, their second appearance there. And we're talking yeah. the height of the summer of 66 on that American tour where the Beatles are dealing with um, uh, dealing with the crisis of, of, of a fact that everybody had come to accept, if not silently, that they were more popular than Jesus Christ. Oh, or yeah. they were bigger yeah. than Jesus. And when you describe that, you know, you hoped that John would be okay. You referenced the famous, I think the the, the press conference on that tour that is that is dissected the most is in Chicago, and you and you reference that. But here you are um, in mid-flight, if not getting toward the end of pretty strict Catholic upbringing, especially education-wise. How yeah. did how did that play? Now I know that this is going on in the summer when the news really breaks. However, yeah. if you're not if you're not in school, you still may have been still may have been going to mass, or your parents did certainly. And, um, you know, as we know, the Vatican only forgave John Lennon about three years ago. Uh, That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, how did that play at home? Is it like, okay, this obsession is enough. It's no longer something we think of as cute, cuddly, and is keeping little Patty safe. How did that play yeah. at home and, and in your community? Well, actually, you know, I lived in the North. I lived in Philadelphia. And this, this, this heated uh, aggravation about, you know, we were more popular than Jesus— that really was more of a uh, a problem in the South. Even for a strict Beatles Catholic, fans. though, I'm thinking of like Catholic <laughs> Mass and the priest saying no more of this Beatles stuff, and we're and we're damning this because it certainly was a was an assault on, on yeah. Catholicism as yeah. well, or they would have perceived it as such. Yeah, actually, I don't remember. You know, and I'm I'm trying to remember back about it. I don't, re except for discussing with my girlfriends. I don't remember it coming up at Mass. I don't remember it, you know, of course we were, it was in the summer, but I don't remember anything about it with the nuns or the next, next semester. It just didn't seem to be a big, big problem for us. And, and I often 
after looking back at it, I, I often thought, well, maybe, you know, as I said, they were, they were burning Beatle albums sure, down south sure. and everything. But in Philly, it was like, yeah, you know, we just kind of went on. And, and I, I was such a fan that it didn't, it didn't phase me at all. And my parents didn't bring it up at so, all. So you know, they, they, they didn't feel as though it, was, it would have been much of a problem as, say, uh, um, like when you would <laughs> roll the top of the, of, the, of the skirt of your uniform to expose a little bit more knee, which yeah, the right. nuns that, really that thought was, was heresy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was bad. Yeah, but, and all, uh, yeah, oh yeah, and it, it it's amazing, you know, how strict they were about that. Uh, and we'd have to kneel on 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 the floor in homeroom, and and if our skirts didn't touch the floor, then we'd be sent down to the mother superior. You know, we had to have skirts a certain certain length. But no, actually, it it wasn't for us anyway, and maybe for some of the other girls in in Pennsylvania or, or New York, it was a problem. But I can't remember that being a problem for us northern girls so well, much. Let me let me ask you this, Patty, in reference to Professor David's question. What uh-huh. how did you feel about and I, I probably know the answer, but some girls were kind of scared when the Beatles went from mop tops to facial hair and no more of the suits and they became psychedelic. You seem to have embraced that. Well, the time that they were sort of converting over around 67, uh, I was moving on from high school to university. And that was actually a a bridge time for me, too. So it was a perfect time for them to go kind of psychedelic. I was getting out of my school uniform. I was going to, you know, I was going to attend Temple University, which was kind of liberal and and funky. So uh, it it was a good time for them to do that because I was kind of doing that as well. Let's put it that way. Well, let's let's talk about the three times you saw the Beatles live. Yes. Tell me the experience because I was uh, a bit younger than you. I was seven years old in 1964, but I, I had the <laughs> I, I had the wherewithal to know who they were. I had older brothers and a sister who who I was just sucked into the vacuum. My parents wouldn't take me. They were Italian. They're like, yeah, you ain't gonna go to this. Uh, but. <laughs> Um, tell us the experience. Did you, were you up close? Were you, uh, could you hear them? Could you see them? Was it okay. mayhem? Just try to give us a little overview of all three of the shows. Well, the first one was very different than the second two. Now, the first one was the first time I saw them in concert was September 2nd, 1964, which was the Philadelphia Convention Hall concert. And, um, that's a closed, you know, hall, um, I was lucky to get tickets because I got them through my cousin's friend who owned a big record store. They were, they were almost impossible to get. So I got two tickets and, uh, a funny, I think it's in the book of a few times. The funny thing that happened to me is that my girlfriend, Kathy and I decided to go very, very early to convention hall that morning and hide behind convention hall to see them when they would pull in in either a limo or a truck. (laughs) So, we got there before the police barricades got there, maybe about nine in the morning or something. And, and we hid behind the big pillar of convention hall, just waiting and waiting. And we were waiting until like one in the afternoon when suddenly we had to have a bathroom break. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what could we do with our kidneys? So we, we had to run out. We ran out to the front of convention hall. And I mean, it was amazing. There were barricades up. There were policemen up. There were girls already there. There were posters and banners. Of course, the concert wasn't till the evening. But uh, we thought, wow. So we, we hopped over the barricades. We found the bathroom. But we couldn't get back in the back anymore because the police were there then. Um, we went home. We got changed. We wore our, our Beatle or John Lennon hats and a little bit of English kind of clothing. And we came back uh, for the concert. Uh, I was in the first, uh, it, it, of course, at convention hall for basketball and, and whatever it was in those days. So the, 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 um, the main floor, you know, had folding chairs, fold, these metal folding chairs, uh, not like the balcony areas. And I was in the main floor. Well, the problem was that um, there were, was a lot of screaming and then there were a lot of girls standing on top of the metal folding chair which is a big mistake. So rows of those folding chairs were falling over. 
my girlfriend, uh, actually, my girlfriend Diane hurt her leg. She cut her leg, falling on one of the off one of the chairs. It didn't. It didn't really stop us. We just jumped up back on the chairs again, bleeding or whatever. Uh, we couldn't hear anything much. And it was rather dark. Um, it was, you know, we were on the main floor. It was one level. I really couldn't see much except Ringo's drum kit. And uh, there was a banner up there that said WIBG, which was Wibbage, uh, the big radio station. Wibbage presents the Beatles. Uh, and that's, that's, exact, that's all I got from that, that evening. And it was a very short concert. I can't remember how long, but it was a very short concert. That was very different. Then two years later, when I went to JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, that were, they were the open stadium times, which you recall. Uh, that was on August 16, 1966. Um, they piped in the music on the loudspeakers that they would use for baseball. So we had music coming in on the loudspeakers. We were up in the, you know, up up in the, the nosebleed seat somewhere in this big uh, stadium and football, football and baseball. I think they did both there. And um, it was it wasn't a long uh, concert. They they had opening acts. They had the Circle and some other groups. Um, they they didn't play for very long, uh, but at least we could hear them because of these this bad sound system. But we could still hear them. Uh, seeing them, it, it was like looking down, you know, on a baseball field when you're in the, the stadiums. It was kind of they were little. But at least, you know, it was better than the first time where we couldn't hear or see anything. And at the, and the next week, we had tickets for Shea in 66. It was August 23rd. Um, and that, too, was about the same thing. Uh, we could hear them. It was very, very humid that day. I remember that evening. Uh, the humidity in, in New York was just incredible. Um, and we were up somewhere, you know, in the nosebleed seats. Uh, we were going to take our Victor Spinetti uh, banner with us, but it was too much to carry on the train <laughs> from Philly. So, so well, we didn't do that. So it was just us. Well, it's, and it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, and of course, you know, they didn't play that long of whatever it was, a half hour or whatever in those days. But uh, we could at least hear and see them sort of as little, you know, little ants down there. And, and, so to, it, and to think, yeah. and to think two Beatle wives are in the audience at Shea along with you. Uh, two That's future right. future Absolutely. Beatle wives, pretty amazing. Yes. Patty, it is pretty amazing. It, it, it really, it, yeah, it, it could have been it, you. It could. Well, that's what I hoped for, and I I still hope for, but it doesn't, <laughs> and, hasn't worked out that way. So. And you have never met a Beatle, which is sad, but you certainly have some amazing uh, autographed items, courtesy of Victor Spinetti, and so good yes. for you and. Patty, I really enjoyed the book. It's called Diary of a Beatle Maniac, a Fab Insider's oh, Look at you. the Beatles Era by Patricia Gallo Stenman. Now, uh, Patricia, uh, Patty, tell us, uh, tell the listeners how they can reach you, website, Facebook page, and those kinds of things. Okay, well, I'm, I'm on all kinds of social media. Uh, my website is just all lowercase, diaryofabeatlemaniac.com. Uh, if you like an autographed copy, you can order it from me or talk to me that way. Uh, I also have a, a, a Instagram. I, I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> under Patricia Gallus Denman. And I have a, a page on Facebook, which is dedicated to Diary of a Beetle Maniac. Well, so uh, you can get me all that, th those different ways if you want to say hello. <laughs> Oh, oh, and where do you buy the book? Where do you okay. buy the book? Thank you, David. Okay, you could, if you want an autographed copy, you can buy it through me, or you could go to Dinrin Press, who's my publisher out of suburban Philadelphia. That's C Y N R E N, or Amazon also has it, uh, and some bookstores. Well, you know, we really enjoyed talking to you today. I enjoyed the book. I wish you the best. Oh, thank you. Uh, hopefully we'll meet sometime at a Beatles convention or somewhere along the line as we share in our love for the Fab Four. And I, oh, yes. uh, and, uh, listen, when I was a kid, it, the Beatles drove me. <laughs> they wanted me to be a uh, – because of the Beatles, I wanted to be a DJ. And look there at you. you from your writings, you became a journalist. 
And so yes. good for you. And there good for, you go. Yeah, good Thank for you. us. And I could tell your writing skills were great because I loved when you described Ringo as a poor, innocent flower. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so sweet. Oh, we, 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 love, we love Ringo. But, you know, one quick story, too, is that, like, we all picked our favorite Beatle probably the first night we saw them on Ed Sullivan. And, and we, we, as Beatle women, girls, we all picked one. And, and there was always one that loved Ringo so much that, you know, she wore like five or six rings on her finger because you could always tell you know, who the Ringo fans were. <laughs> it's so funny. That's but right. True. Well, yeah. listen, oh, well, listen, thank you, Patty. We really enjoyed you. you joining us today. I enjoyed this too. We, I did. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Have a great day. Thank you for coming on our podcast. And thanks for putting out the book. It was really enjoyable. Well, thank you, Patty. Thank you so much, and, and thank you for inviting me. It was great talking to you all. Hadabra, Patty. Hadabra. Thanks, gentlemen. What's, what's that <laughs> mean? What do you th- Hadabra? Steak sandwich? No, it's, no. A, it's a Swedish greeting. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So, because <laughs> you, your wife is... My wife is Norwegian, yes. And so I yeah. know, a yeah. little, know, know a little bit of the Northern Lights. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, yeah. I lived over there many years in Sweden and Finland, so... Oh. Interesting. And there's Beatles maniac people over there, too. Absolutely. So. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, maybe you've read uh, Lars uh, Sabri Christensen's book, Beatles. I don't think I have. I oh, have well, that's another conversation. My... Yeah, another conversation. Wait, wait, right. What's the name okay. of that author again? Uh, Lars Sabri Christensen. He's Norwegian. Christensen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll in, check it it's out. It's in Norwegian. It out. Uh, no, it's been, well, it's it's been translated. It's been translated. My wife's dissertation is a yeah. critical translation of that novel. No, yeah. sir. Really? Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> okay, Patty, take care of yourself. God bless you, you. And have a good time with Paul McCartney in the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Yes. And we're all looking forward to it okay. here in Dallas. Thank great. you. We'll talk I soon. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, gentlemen, what'd you think of that? Isn't Patty great? You know, there was one thing that I uh, I read in the book that I, I it didn't just didn't seem totally appropriate to ask her right now, but um yeah, but remember she mentions in there, uh, and she shows a picture of the world's most handsome DJ, this yes. guy in, in, in Highlight. Phil, who was that guy? Did you, did you ever hear of him before? Never heard of him before, <laughs> but another local DJ who... It must have been Philly's answer to Woo Woo Ginsburg or uh, Barry the K or mm-hmm. something yeah, like that, yeah. right? And he introduced the Beatles. He introduced you know, the Beatles, that's the right. Beatles. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to say goodbye to Patty. She, that, was, that was a great conversation. And here we're here now, of course, with Steve Minichello. Professor Steve, we call him. He teaches a Beatles class at Worcester State University. And, of, my, of course, my uh, regular co-host, our regular co-host, Mr. David Gallant, Professor Gallant from Suffolk University. So you guys both teach classes. Correct. Yes. This is the first time you've met. Yep. Students the same in Worcester and in Boston. <laughs> They're all the same everywhere. And it's great to have you both on, uh, on uh, have Steve on as a guest on our podcast, mm-hmm. David. Yeah, sure. I mean, maybe over the years I've been teaching Beatles class at Suffolk since 2005. So at some point I must have had uh, a freshman who maybe uh, after the first or second year decided to transfer for some reason. Maybe yep. they ended up at Worcester State yep. yeah. <laughs> or at WPI if they mm. wanted engineering when we didn't offer it anymore. Mm. Um, so uh, I was going to ask uh, Patty, and maybe uh, off script I will sometime, um, how or why she might think that her book would be good as a text in a college class. Oh, well, there you go. That, you know, that would have been a great question. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've taught a lot of uh, autobiography over the years, and it, it does a pretty good job of, of giving you an insight to the times. You know, mm-hmm. much like when she models herself after Anne Frank's diary, you learn a lot about what's going on in Europe at the time. Um, you do get that taste and that flavor because some of the entries as you're reading through, you're, you're trying to get to her Beatles stuff, but there's also other things going on in her life. You yeah. Know? And right. I thought it was really interesting, Chachi, when she talked about the first Beatle concert at Convention Hall, and she kind of closes the loop because that's where she graduates from high school, is the same arena. Isn't that amazing? The same building, right? And obviously, she reflects upon that. It's a very different place when she's there in her in her cap and gown for uh, Catholic high school uh, as a good young soldier of Christ. And then, <laughs> but what was she doing two years before there, right, at the Beatles concert? So uh, I thought that that was kind of interesting, giving a little light and uh, to say that her school was back-to-back with the studio where American Bandstand was, Isn't that was, amazing? was filmed all the time, right, and how that came out of Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also interesting because I, I had forgotten 
where she now resides. And you mentioned that she's based in Dallas area. Because I'm thinking, why does this woman from Philly who spent 25 years in Scandinavia sound like she's from the South? Because she's yeah. adopted the voices wherever she's from. But I always thought that if you were from Philly, Philly never left you and never yeah. left how you spoke. Right. But you no, know, she sounds like, a, you know, she's wearing the yellow rose of Texas. Unbelievable. <laughs> and Professor Steve, what do, what do you use any Beatle books, uh, specific books in your class as Professor David does? David, what do you use in your class for books? Uh, well, it's changed a lot over the years. For the past four or five years, I have settled on Jonathan Gould's Can't Buy Me Love right. as Good. sort of the, the main sort of uh, uh, socio-historical approach. Uh, now, Dave, let me ask you. Yeah. Why not Shout? I use Shout. Uh, I, I had used the revised edition of Shout, um, and then, though, I picked up Can't Buy Me Love in a bookstore. Shortly after I picked it up, Chachi interviewed Jonathan Gould, and I found it to be a great blend of musical analysis and historical context where – you know, Shout in some ways is is pretty much a chronicle, and there's there's obviously a, a viewpoint that Norman uses. Yeah. Uh, and I had used it; I had read it when it first came out in the early '80s. And the revised edition I thought was okay. I didn't think it read that well for my students. And then I made the mistake of moving on to Bob Spitz's, which was way too long. Yeah. Um, and then when Gould's book came out, I thought it was just the right blend of the history and musical analysis and other things to let us know what is going on. In fact. The Boston Globe had an article uh, this Sunday on the um, the actual copy of Lady Chatterley's Lover that was used in the obscenity trial in 1960 in England. And Gould makes a point of that obscenity trial and now people being allowed to read Lady Chatterley's Lover as preparing English society to embrace the Beatles, both their working class roots and what they represented in terms of freedom and everything else. So Gould puts that in. So I think my students need to learn that in order to understand the sort of social context. Um, and I use Candy Leonard's book because it's a great sort of ethnography of what was going on here. And from that ground level up, I, I call it similar to Howard Zinn's People's History of the U.S., A People's History of the Beatles. And these guys are going to laugh at me, but, you know, I use Ian McDonald's Revolution in the Head. I use it's, it too. It's, it, it's, it's really indispensable, and I don't think it's been surpassed recently in terms of a song-by-song um, analysis. Yeah. So, Chat, so those Chat, are the three we main know, texts. Uh, we know the professor sleeps with that book under his I, pillow. I do, I do, like with, with a lock of Jamie's hair. Mm. Uh, so um, those are the three that I use, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's always supplemented with other things that are found out there, and I have these supplemental packets on the on the electronic site. It's supplemented by, hey, listen to this radio program every weekend, and also the podcast. So uh, they have to deal with a lot of different texts, you yeah. know, both written and 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 visual text, and and uh, I also want them to keep an eye on. Uh, anything Beatle-related that isn't necessarily a direct Beatles story. Mm. So I made a big deal out of, uh, you know, that this is also important to look at the after effects of the Beatles. I, I made a big deal of Dan Shaughnessy's column on the Red Sox this season, and he looked at their outfield, and he called Andrew Benintendi the George of the outfield because he's quiet, yet he's also very <laughs> proficient. You know, in an outfield of superstars, he's the George of the John Paul, George, and Ringo. So I say, why does he do that? Why, is the, why are the Beatles a vocabulary to explain other phenomena in the world without even thinking about it, right? So that's how we cut along the area of different texts. But those are the three main ones. Yeah. Steve, what and about I, you? Well, I use the same two, uh, the Ian McDonald, and I, then I do Shout, obviously. But the other, uh, the other one I use is called Read the Beatles. And oh. it's an anthology. Sure. And uh, what I'm sure you try to do is I, I use excerpts from that. Uh, the June, June Skinner Sawyer. Yes. Yeah, she edited and some of the articles that were out of there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a pretty good. So I, I give maybe half of that as mm -hmm. assignments also. But uh, what I try to do, which is I'm sure what you try to do too, is not just teach a course about the Beatles. It's more, more than history. And you try to put them in the 60s. And, and those of us that really were alive then, trying to get that across to the kids, uh, they can actually relate to that pretty damn well because their parents were, were pretty exciting, uh, uh, pretty excited uh, about the fact that these kids are taking these classes and, and, and soaking all this up. And I constantly tell them as the, as the semester is going on, you are not going to believe how many Beatle references are in your life that you're totally unaware of now. Almost like if you're going to buy a car, all of a sudden you notice every kind of car you're looking for. Uh, you're <laughs> looking for, if you're going to get a Volkswagen, you know that that's all you see are Volkswagens. Now that you know the Beatles story, by the end of the semester, they're picking things up, like you were saying, the Dan Shaughnessy article, and they're coming into class and they're saying, I just heard this reference, I heard right. that reference. Right. It's amazing how many well, references yeah, we live with. I've been accused of, of planting these things out there. 
I, I tell the famous story of the our, our students not fitting in the dorms when we had an explosion of students, which colleges would love now, right? Yeah. The demographic cliff is coming. We're all in trouble. Uh, but we had a we had a boom in 2006, and we had to house students at a local hotel uh, right on Cambridge Street near Mass General Hospital. And at the same time, the Beatles were coming to iTunes for the first time. Yeah. So I was teaching the class. The kids would wake up, and they would look out of their dorm slash hotel room and see a, um, a Beatles billboard coming to iTunes right above a store oh, 24. And they asked me, did I plan that? Because they're taking the class. Did I put it there? <laughs> yeah. Right? And the famous story, oh, I think it's famous now, right? That uh, Patriots beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. The victory parade is later in the afternoon. I'm teaching class in a building downtown Boston. And we can hear, as I'm teaching the Beatles' first album, we can hear the Beatles' cover of Twist and Shout being played at the victory parade and the students saying, did you plan that, Professor? Right? <laughs> and I said, so now they're sponges and they have what are called the Kenneth Burke called it terministic screens, right? That different way of viewing the world. Yeah. And students from years later will will say, "Oh, I I saw this, you know, thing at the cosmetic store, Lush, this soap called Strawberry Field Soap, and they send a picture to me of it, right? And of course, with the film yesterday coming out, everybody from like a decade ago, did you do you know about this, right?" right? I say, well, of course I know about this, right? Uh, the dean, I told you, Chachi, the dean and a professor of history decided to send me notification that there was going to be a Beatles celebration at the West End Museum in Boston celebrating 50 years since the Beatles had played the old Boston Garden. And did I know about this? And I said, not only do I know about it, I'm on the panel. Read down a little yeah. bit further. You know, deans, they never <laughs> read anything, right? And, and in fact, if you didn't realize, one of the vice presidents kicked in some money uh, to support it. And I said, and also the university is partly sponsoring this. So, you know, read a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is, it, it's, it's frightening that when they start to see how... Uh, how everywhere it is, right, and how how widespread it is. It and, is so uh, omnipresent. It, it is. really is. It is. You know, I got what what I, sure. I can tell one story, Josh. Of course, please. I had uh, I had a student, and I think this was one of the classes you came into. Yeah. And I had a uh, a exchange student from China that was doing just one semester at Worcester State. Um, obviously, uh, English is not her first language. Uh, she knew enough to to get by. She took the Beatle class. Her name was Sushi Sushi, and. Um, she knew nothing about the Beatles. I have no idea why she took the class or anything, but she knew nothing. So she was my kind of touchstone. So anytime I played a song, I could always go to her and say, because even the kids in the class, they're familiar with maybe 20, yeah, 20 clean, songs. Clean she's slate. a clean slate. She's yes. a Petri dish, you know, that, that's clean. And I remember going to her so often, but the most important one was we were doing Abbey Road, and I had set up um, something. Because there's so many elements of something that it just make it a perfect song. And I remember when the song ended, I didn't say anything. And it's just dead silence. And I look over at her and I said, Sushi, what do you think? She's crying and she said, that's the most beautiful song I have ever heard. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't you know, that great? And you just, you don't get stuff like that unless you're in the classroom. Yeah. And you see it and you're realizing it's 50 years later. Mm-hmm. And they're into it just as much as, as we were back then in some ways, in a historical way anyways. Isn't that great? Okay, everybody. Well, I do want to recognize our producer, David Yaz. Look at this, Professor Gallant. The whole show, I don't recognize him until the very <laughs> end. I usually do it at the top of the show. I well, just, that's, that's the thing about the silent genius behind the operation. That's catchy. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's I just true. wanted to ask Professor Gallant, when I heard Parade and Twist and Shout, I, I always thought Ferris Bueller was the one who engineered Twist and Shout. <laughs> yeah. A parade? <laughs> and I put it on a screen for you guys. It's just another the, the, classic, the, iconic uh, The moment. German Day Parade. And, right? and, and reference. Right. Professor Steve, at the uh, when we go really long on the podcast, I often see David Yass crying as well. <laughs> yeah, over on the side. Yeah. So. You told me that last week for different <laughs> reasons. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't hear me saying, "I can't believe these these guys kept me here this long." And, <laughs> and he doesn't have a contest for us today, but we ran out of time. So next time, I do want to thank everyone, every all of you, for listening and for subscribing and for downloading our podcast. We're going to be back very soon for with a new uh, subject and new guest. And certainly you have all of our backlog of podcasts that you can listen to. But also you have the very varied uh, podcasts that are featured on the Boston Podcast Network, whom Professor and I dearly love, the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. So as we close, any final words from you guys? Anything you want to say? Uh, special uh, 
shout out to our friends in Amsterdam because we know there's a lot of Amsterdamians that uh, that listen, and I'd like to say to them, uh, Dewey, Dewey. Oh, okay, that's true. Cause <laughs> they don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> when, before we started the podcast, David Yaz, our spiritual leader, was showing us the numbers, and we have 41 listeners in Russia. <laughs> How many in Amsterdam? Across, you over a hundred. Uh, What's that? Across the globe, across the globe. Across I, the globe. I, I think three different different, different countries listen well, to get back to the Beatles. Isn't that great? It's well, very exciting, Chachi. Right? It is spanning spanning the globe. That's correct. So, <laughs> Professor Steve from uh, Worcester State University, the, te- the professor of the Beatles class, thank you for joining us thank tonight. Thank you, Chachi. We appreciate it. Of course, Mr. Gallant, Professor Gallant here every episode along with me. Uh, I have I have the professor with the brains, uh, and then I'm here, and I just have a good time. So <laughs> I, really, I really appreciate uh, you being here every episode. And, of course, David, yes. Yeah. So thank you all. And, of course, you can hear Breakfast with the Beatles, my Beatles show, every Saturday and Sunday in New England on WUMB 91.9 FM in Boston and 92.1, 97.1 in New Hampshire and Maine, respectively. And uh, so look for us, look for the show, and come on back to Get Back to the Beatles, brought to you by, in part by Subaru of New England and Direct Tire and Auto Service. Until next time, ta. Is that ta-ta. what? Ta. Ta. Okay. <laughs> See you guys later. Thank you. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.